This morning our text will come from Acts chapter 13. If you want to be turning there, let me also mention to you that uh, this year we again we'll be participating with Save a Life and the baby baby bottle boomerang. Uh, Ms. Donna went to the Save a Life uh, luncheon back in December, and she committed our church again this year to be a part of uh, Save a Life's uh, baby bottle boomerang. The money that you give there will go to support Save a Life here in Calhoun County. I do a tremendous work, and I know that God will bless those efforts. This morning, as we look at the first five verses here in Acts chapter 13, I want, to be, I want to talk to you this morning about understanding the fact that God has a distinct call on every one of our lives. There's a distinct call of God for each and every one of us here this morning. Uh, this is kind of a dividing point in the book of Acts here as we get to this chapter. We know that the church has been established Jesus, there's been the ascension there in in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit fall on the day of Pentecost. The church at Jerusalem begins to thrive and flourish. We know that many thousands of people are added there to the church at Jerusalem. The Scriptures tell us that even some of the priests in the synagogues became followers of Jesus Christ. We know that it was a tremendous movement happening there in the city of Jerusalem And then there, as we look there toward the end of chapter 7, we know that the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr, there begins a great persecution against the church, and the church begins to scatter into the surrounding regions. Now the church has reached out into Samaria and Judea. Um, Just a, a, a little while before what happens here, we know that James, the brother of John, has been Uh, executed by Herod because he won't stop spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we know that there is a a lot happening and there is a great deal happening here in this church in Antioch that we're going to look at. This church is thriving. And God is about to pick some people from this church to begin to complete His work of taking the gospel to the known world at the time. So read these first five verses with me here this morning. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So, we see here this dividing point in the book of Acts. Saul, who's going to become Paul, Saul who's been converted, in chapter 9, who led the great persecution against the church, is going to replace Peter as the central figure in the story uh, as we read it. Peter has been imprisoned uh, shortly after the, the murder of James, the brother of John, and the gospel is set now to go worldwide. There's a large growing church here at Antioch, and these five men named from the group, two of them have been separated for a missionary journey. Now these two men, one of them is very tried and a very tried and proven man. 
His name is Barnabas. He's well known and respected by the apostles, even as far back as the earliest establishment of the church. We first see him in Acts 4.36, where he sells all of his property and he brings his money and lays it at the feet of the apostles. His name is Joseph, but the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He reaches out to the despised Saul after his conversion, and he vouches for him among the churches. The church of Jerusalem sends him to Antioch um, and in, ver- in chapter 11 when they heard that Gentiles had started turning to the Lord and he was trusted so much that he took the offering to the poor in Jerusalem. He was tried and true. Now Saul, on the other hand, was, 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 was an unknown kind of at this point. They may still be trying to figure Saul out. At first, they're really afraid of Saul. After his conversion, they're on the Damascus Road, and he begins to come into the synagogues and the temples to preach. And they are all the, they're real confused because it wasn't just a little while ago that he was the one who was coming with letters and permission to imprison the Christians and take them into, into bondage and carry them back to prison. So they're, they're still maybe, but they, they've listened to Saul. Saul has been going into the temples and he has reasoned and he has persuaded many of the Jewish people in the synagogues to become followers of Jesus Christ. So at this point, he's going to be used mightily by God to reach the Gentiles, those who are outside of the Jewish nation. There's three things that I want us to notice here as we begin in verses 2 and 3. First of all, I want you to look, look at that phrase that said, the Holy Spirit said. It wasn't deacons or elders or apostles or a congregational vote, but it was the Holy Spirit who said what would happen. You see, the Holy Spirit has to set the agenda for our lives individually and for our body corporately. We have to be listening for the Word from the Holy Spirit. Second, note the conditions that made this possible, uh, made possible this unhindered activity of the Holy Spirit. The church at Antioch was completely yielded to God. They were so yielded to God that they were in full cooperation with the Holy Spirit when He revealed God's will to the believers. They spent a lot of time on their knees praying, God, please show us Your will for us as a church. They spent so much time praying for that that when God began to reveal His will for them through the voice of the Holy Spirit, they recognized it and they immediately began to cooperate with it. And then third, listen, they, they listened. Not only did they listen, but they obeyed the voice of the Holy Spirit. When they knew the will, the will of God, the mind of the Spirit, the verses say that they fasted and prayed and then they laid their hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them away to fulfill the missionary journey which the Holy Spirit had ordered. They didn't take a vote. They didn't look at their training. They didn't look at their educational level or their credentials or their social contacts. The church simply obeyed the Holy Spirit and set these two men apart. Do you know that the Holy Spirit still wants to speak to us today? He still has a desire to speak to us each and every day. And He speaks to us most through His Word. 2 Timothy 3.16-17, and Paul would go on to write to Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to you each and every day through God's Word as you sit in, in, in quiet time with Him and listen to His voice. Today's January 22nd. Is that today's the de- January 22nd? I hope that on January the 1st that you decided that you were going to find a Bible reading plan and that you were going to read God's Word through completely in, Jan- in 2017. I hope that you made that an obligation in your life to completely read God's Word through, to find a reading plan and to do that. I have one right here in my, uh, that I keep every day. Sometime before I go to bed tonight, I will read four chapters of God's Word and, and I'm systematically going through His Word so that I can complete it and understand it better. God's Holy Spirit wants to speak to us through His Word. God, I want you to listen to this. God still calls particular people to particular places for particular purposes. God still calls particular people to particular places for particular purposes. I honestly believe right now that there are some of our college students and some of our young adult students who've been exposed to mission work and who've been exposed to other things that God is speaking to their hearts and God is dealing with them and God is speaking with them and God is showing them, beginning to reveal and to show them where their future lies and what He has in store for them later on in life. Now, He's not going to show you everything, but He's going to lead you gradually in that way. You have to be listening and be in tune. Every born-again person should be listening And every church should be praying. Every one of us should be listening and every church, our church should be praying for those who God is calling out and setting apart for His work in the future. So we see that God's work is personal, His call is personal, and then we see that it's purposeful. In verse number 5, God tells them the purpose that He's setting them apart for is to preach the Word of God. That's the purpose of Saul and Barnabas. What has He called you to do? And what is He calling us to do as a church? We have a purpose. We can know that purpose. Paul said in Romans 12 too, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Have you noticed that the church wants to be conformed more to look like the world? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that, that, in, that we look more and more like the world? We study, and, and, I, and, and I've been guilty of this in the past as a, as a youth minister, we study the culture so much and we want to know what's going on in the culture so much that we want to make the church look like the culture. And we're not supposed to. We are not supposed to conform to this world, but we are supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, which is renewing our mind through God's Word every day. Listen, I I would love to be able to stand up at the Southern Baptist Convention in June next year and say, stop studying the culture so much and open God's Word and read it and just do what it says. We'll win more people that way 
than any other way is just by reading God's Word, doing what it says, living His example, and being the people that He's called us to be. Living the purpose that He's called us to live. That's what we're supposed to be about. But we are, we are a people who want to be happy. We want to be happy with church. We want to be happy with church. We want church to make us happy. Listen, I want church to give me joy. I don't, want, I don't leave here every week happy. I'm the preacher and I ain't happy sometimes. But I have a joy that you can't break. I have a joy that you can't touch. I have a joy through what God has done in my life and in my heart that you just can't, you can't break it. I'm not worried about being happy. I'm worried about living a life with a purpose. Listen, a recent study said that our happiness levels are at an all-time high. Now, you can't tell that by looking at the streets across our nation. But it says we're, as Americans, we feel real happy. But a new study cautions that there's something much more important than happiness, and that's finding meaning or a life purpose. After interviewing nearly 400 Americans, the study found the two categories overlap. But there is one major difference. Happiness focuses on taking, while meaning and purpose focuses on giving. The researchers concluded that happiness is about feeling good. Happy people tend to think that life is easy. They are in good physical health and they are able to buy the things that they need or want. The pursuit of happiness is also associated with being a taker. The study stated, if anything, pure happiness is linked to not helping others in need. In contrast, people leading meaningful lives get a lot of joy from giving to others. Having more meaning in life was associated with activities like buying presents for others, taking care of children, or serving others. People whose, whose lives have high levels of meaning help others even when it comes at the expense of happiness. So what's your most important goal in life? Happiness or meaning? New studies show that having purpose and meaning in life increases overall life satisfaction but that the single-minded pursuit of happiness actually makes people less happy. Are you trying to be happy or are you living a life of purpose? I'll have the honor this afternoon to speak at the funeral of a woman who I watched for the last nearly 20 years live a life in front of me of just complete purpose. Some of you have watched, watched her life for 70 years or longer. And that was Miss Alice Edna Stewart. Ms. Alice Edna Stewart's life was about serving other people. She served her family, and she served her church, and she served their... I'd love to have a dollar for every cookie that Alice Edna Stewart served at Vacation Bible School. But, her, but if you knew her well the way that I knew her, if you knew her as well as I did, you knew that she wasn't... There were a lot of unhappy times in her life. There were a lot of health issues and a lot of health issues in her family and different things. But there was never a time when there wasn't joy in her life. Because she had purpose in her life. She had, she had meaning in her life because she was using what God had given her to serve others and to live a life of purpose. God had a purpose for Barnabas and Saul. Now I'm going to tell you something. These are two of the greatest men who ever lived 
and every day of their life wasn't happy. If you turn just one page over, you'll find a heading that says, Paul stoned at Lystra. They actually drug him out of the city and stoned him, and they thought he was dead, but he, he, he was alive. That wasn't a happy day. There were many days that were unhappy for them, but they knew their purpose, and they lived their purpose to the fullness of their ability in God. The Lord said, separate from me Barnabas and Saul. The same Greek word is used in Galatians 1.15 when Paul says, God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace. God has a purpose for each of our lives. We are set apart by God and for God for that particular purpose which no one can perform quite like we can when we are called and empowered by God's Holy Spirit. When we know our purpose and we realize that we not only have that purpose, but God's empowering us through the Holy Spirit to live that purpose, we find joy and meaning in our lives. And we know that our lives are purposeful. And then we, we see that this call is practical. Now there are some things that aren't practical for me. There are some things that I just can't do. If you took me down to the Y, and you set up a hundred basketballs, and you said, Michael, there's a million dollars for you on the first ball that you dunk on a 10-foot goal. No matter how many times I quoted, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I would never dunk a basketball. It is physically impossible to happen. I don't have the hops. Is that what we say? I don't have the hops for it. Alright? It's not going to happen. God didn't call me to, to be the great athlete who goes out and gives his testimony the way that, the way that he did some. He didn't call me to sing. I was in a business this past week, and the, and, the, and the person in that business, it was their birthday, and Dennis Ragsdale was there also. And uh, Dennis and uh, the, the, the lady, it was her birthday, said, are y'all going to sing happy birthday to me? And Dennis said, I'll sing, but he's going outside if there's any singing to be done. God didn't call me to do those things. God called me to preach. There are people that God calls for the practical things that they're designed for. I read this story. The Chronicle of Higher Education featured an article about William Lane Craig, the man they called Christian philosophy's boldest apostle. Craig has traveled the world debating many of the world's most articulate atheists. The atheist Sam Harris said, Craig is the one of Christian apologists who seems to have put the fear of God into many of my fellow atheists which is probably why the famous atheist Richard Dawkins refuses to debate Craig. But the story of how Craig became a brilliant scholar and debater reveals the sovereign work of God in the midst of our weaknesses and limitations. Craig, from birth, has suffered from Charcot-Marie II syndrome, a neuromuscular disease that causes atrophy in the extremities. He walks with a severe limp, and his hands often look as if they're gripping an invisible object. Growing up, he couldn't run normally. My boyhood was difficult. Children can be very cruel. Since varsity sports weren't an option, he joined his high school debate team. Initially, he wasn't interested in spiritual issues, but he started reading the Bible, and the Jesus he found there took hold of him. He explained, for me, it was a question of personal commitment. Was I prepared to become this man's follower? 
During college, he continued debating and searching for his calling. Not until years later, though, after establishing himself as a philosopher, did he start to debate and defend his faith in a public setting. It became as a welcome surprise. He said, I was just thrilled to be able to use debates as a means of fulfilling this vision of sharing the gospel. You see, it was practical to use this intelligent man and his intellect to debate the gospel of Jesus Christ and to lead other people to Jesus Christ. God has a practical purpose for your life. Let me quickly share with you three practical ways to find God's will for your life. First is desire. God will not call you to a particular calling without first implanting a desire in your heart to do so. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, we misinterpret this verse sometimes. It doesn't mean that God's going to give you whatever your little heart desires. It means that God is going to implant His desires in your heart to do His will. God will give you the desire. And then He'll give you the opportunity. Desire has to be accompanied by opportunity. When I became a Christian, I was asked by several different churches to come and to share my testimony at Men's Brotherhood Breakfast and, and, and different youth events and things like that. And it became apparent to me that God had a call on my life to preach. And so I sat down one day in my apartment that I lived in in Jacksonville, and I wrote a sermon. No one had ever said to me, will you come and preach at our church? They'd said, will you come and share your testimony? Or will you come and, and, and give a devotional? No one had ever said, come and preach. But I sat down and wrote a sermon. It was the very first sermon I, that I ever wrote. It's on some note cards somewhere in my library. And I wrote that sermon and I began to study that sermon. And I had a desire to preach that sermon. And Rick Kaufman, who was the pastor at Daily Street Baptist Church, called me and he was the first person to ever say, will you come and preach for us? So the desire was there. God had put the desire in my heart to preach. The desire so much that I'd even sat down and wrote a sermon. And then the opportunity came. And I could have easily said to Rick, well, you know, Rick, I'm not a preacher or I'm not... But I knew that I had an opportunity. God had put an opportunity in front of me and there was no way that I would say no because I knew that it was the practical purpose for my life. And so I took that. God will provide the opportunity, take advantage of it, and make the most of it. And then walk with, thirdly, walk with and trust God. Isaiah 30, 21 says, Your ears shall hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left, the only way to hear a voice behind you is to be on the move. When God gives you that desire, when God gives you that opportunity, begin to move. And begin to move toward God and listen to the voice of God. The, the chapter here in, in chapter 13 says that these two men were set apart for the work. When we are walking in the Spirit, we do not wear out the seat of our pants, but the soles of our shoes. We're busy doing the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, I believe that God's distinct call is providential. 
I believe that you'll know that it is God without any doubt. John Piper says this about these Scriptures that we've read. The observation is simply and gloriously that the result of their going out was a movement that changed the Roman world. In Cyprus, Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby churches sprang up. There were new people who worshipped Jesus Christ and laid their lives on the line for Him. On that day of fasting and worshipping in Antioch, these five teachers had no idea what they were unleashing on the world. That is God's way. He calls for obedience and faithfulness, but He keeps the future blessings of a hardship of hardships and triumphs in His own secret wisdom. In other words, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. And it's a supernatural calling that He puts on our lives. I'm so glad of two things. I'm glad, first of all, that one evening God called me and said it's time for you to give your life to me. I'm glad that I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit pointing me to Jesus and saying this was the only answer. And then I'm glad, secondly, that there was a day where I knew the desire of my heart was to preach God's Word, to study God's Word, and to share God's Word with other people. And I'm glad that when I got that phone call, I said, yes, I'll come and I'll preach. What is God calling you to do? God called a young shepherd boy who was barely a teenager out of the fields to come one day and to slay a giant and later on to become king of Israel. So there's no excuse to say I'm too young. God called Moses out of the wilderness when he was 80 years old and spoke to him through a burning bush. So there's no excuse to say I'm too old. What is God calling you to do? And in this year, would you join with me in being on your face in prayer and saying, Lord, You've given us some things to do in this church. You've given us some physical things to do. What is your plan for us? What is the next step for us? What, what, is, what is it that You would have us to do? This morning, if you're here and you're hearing that call on your life, for the first time, you're, or for, for I don't know how many times, but you're hearing the Holy Spirit speak to you and say you need Jesus. Mike is going to lead us in a time of invitation, a time of worship. Would you come this morning and let myself or Donna or Seth take God's Word and, and, and show you how to be a Christian? Or maybe you need to come and say God has a plan for my life and I want to follow it. We'll be here also. Maybe you need to be baptized or maybe you need to join this church. Whatever it is you need to do, would you take this time and use it wisely and come and be obedient to God's Holy Spirit? Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for this opportunity to share Your Word. Thank You for blessing our lives with Your Word. And Father, now we pray that people would be obedient to Your call. In Jesus' name, Amen.